Our scripture reading this morning is from John chapter 20, verses 19 through 31. When it was evening on that day, the first day of the week, and the doors of the house where the disciples had met were locked for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. After he said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples rejoiced when they saw the Lord. Jesus said to them, Peace be with you, as Abba has sent me, so I send you. When he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you retain the sins of any, they are retained. But Thomas, who was called the twin, one of the twelve, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, We have seen the Lord. But he said to them, Unless I see the mark of the nails in his hands and put my finger in the mark of the nails and my hand in his side, I will not believe. A week later, his disciples were again in the house, and Thomas was with them. Although the doors were shut, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here and see my hands. Reach out your hand and put it in my side. Do not doubt, but believe. Thomas answered him, My Lord and my God. Jesus said, Have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have come to believe. Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written so that you may come to believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that through believing you may have life in his name. These are our sacred stories. Thanks be to God. I have always been curious. We could call it skeptical, but I prefer curious. I've mentioned before that I was regularly sent to my father's office during Sunday school. The Sunday school teacher would be reading from a story in the Bible, and I just couldn't keep my questions or incredulity to myself. I've likely also mentioned that during my teen years, I spent most of the drive home from church engaging my father in conversation about his sermon. We could call it arguing, but I prefer engaging. I often felt he collected verses from all over the Bible to prove his point and thus missed the context of the verses. I also felt like he spoke with so much certainty about things that seemed to me to have a lot of room for interpretation. Perhaps you've noticed how often I use might, maybe, perhaps, could it be? I might be overcorrecting from the other Reverend Mayo. I prefer to call my way of doing it careful analysis. <laughs> All of this is to say that I've always resonated with the story of Thomas and telling us that it is Thomas who is not present that Easter evening. Our lection notes, but Thomas, who is called the twin, one of the 12, was not with them when Jesus came. Thomas, who was called the twin. What? We all know that Thomas was called doubting. But about that twin thing, it might interest you to know that the name Thomas is just the Aramaic word for twin. So woodenly, this line would read, 
Thomas, Aramaic word for twin, who is called Didymus, Greek word for twin. So it's unlikely to be some sort of secret code, and it's extremely unlikely that Thomas was Jesus's twin, as some have speculated. Now, he might have been someone's twin because in the Gospel of Thomas, it is noticed, noted that Thomas's name is Judas. So, maybe they called Thomas, meaning twin, Thomas because there was already a Judas and they didn't want to get them confused. If this is the case, then Thomas is not really a name at all. It's just a nickname. And all of this directly connects to my curiosity and skepticism. There are mysteries in the sacred stories. There are mistranslations, there are missing passages and passages added later, and words that do perhaps contain hidden meanings, and words that just mean twin and nothing more. There are treasures on the surface and treasures buried deep with contexts and original language and understandings of Judaism. Curiosity, skepticism, and doubt are vital parts of my faith. They influence how I read the Bible, how I worship, how I try to live out my faith, how I try to follow Jesus. So Thomas isn't there that evening of Easter when Jesus appears among the disciples. He doesn't see Jesus. He doesn't hear his voice. And so he doubts what the disciples tell him happened while he was away. He tells his fellow disciples, unless I see the mark of the nails in his hands and put my finger in the mark of the nails and my hand in his side, I will not believe. We might pause here to note that it is Thomas who becomes famous for doubting, but all of the male disciples doubt the word of the female disciples. None of them believe the Easter story until they experience Jesus for themselves. Thomas became famous for doubting, but he was simply one doubter among many. The scripture reads, unless I see the mark of the nails in his hands and put my finger in the mark of the nails and my hand in his side, I will not believe. It's not enough that Jesus was present in the room. Thomas needed to see Jesus's wounds. The scripture continues, although the doors were shut, Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. And then he said to Thomas, put your finger here and see my hands. Reach out your hand and put it in my side. Do not doubt, but believe. So it seems to be that what convinced Thomas was a matter of the heart more than a matter of science. Thomas needed to share in remembered pain, share in grief, share in the changes that Jesus's death created. Jesus's first words are peace be with you. Perhaps this peace peace that has cost so much already and will continue to require so much of each disciple in turn. Perhaps this peace is what Thomas comes to believe 
after experiencing so intimately the suffering Jesus endured. We don't actually know what Thomas believes. The author doesn't make it explicit. It's as though exactly what Thomas now believes is not the most important part. Jesus says, peace be with you before Thomas believes whatever it is he believes. Peace be with you before belief. Jesus includes doubting Thomas in his peace. Peace is where the experience, the exchange, the encounter begin. We doubters are not left out. We are included. We are needed. We have always been important to faith and life and growth. The peace of Christ is not just for believers, and it does not separate believers and non-believers. Peace joins together. Somehow we've lost sight of this joining together, this inclusion of doubt. Doubt, curiosity, and critical examination have become less acceptable among many Christians. Deep-seated conviction has become expected to the detriment, I believe, of Christianity. It seems to me that belief, specifically belief in certain doctrines like the virgin birth or biblical inerrancy, have taken over much of Christianity and that practice seeking to act as Jesus taught us to act has been smothered by creed. This dogmatic belief in creed and doctrine has also become a dogmatic rejection of scientific thought and discovery. It leads directly to Christians claiming they don't need a mask because the virus isn't real or even if it is that God will protect them. Faith without doubt is dangerous. It leads to climate change deniers who care more about their interpretation of Genesis than about decades of scientific discovery. It leads to a list of beliefs that Christians check off one by one and then do nothing to love their neighbors, to welcome the stranger, to feed the hungry. Doubt, skepticism, critical thought, they're all vital to faith. And they've always been here. There have always been voices of dissent, voices of question, voices of doubt. Doubt is a part of the story of faith, the story of God. I heard an interview with Jennifer Michael Hecht, the author of Doubt, A History, with Krista Tippett. In the interview, Hecht noted, only in modern times is doubt equated narrowly with the rejection of faith. The history of great doubters includes many who have grappled with religious questions and found the possibility of other answers. Thank God for the possibility of other answers. St. Augustine in his 5th century treatise De Trinitate wrote, Nobody surely doubts that he lives and remembers and understands and wills and thinks and knows and judges. 
At least, even if he doubts, he lives. If he doubts, he remembers why he is doubting. If he doubts, he has a will to be certain. If he doubts, he thinks. If he doubts, he knows he does not know. If he doubts, he judges he ought not to give a hasty assent. Theologian Paul Tillich said it this way, Philosophy formulates the questions implied in human existence, and theology formulates the answers implied in divine self-manifestation under the guidance of the questions implied in human existence. This is a circle which drives humans to a point where question and answer are not separated. All of the Protestant reformers were doubters, every one of them. Reform requires by its very nature that one challenge what has come before, that one question, consider, reevaluate. We doubters, we the curious, we are in a long line of those who search for the possibility of other answers, a long line of those caught in the circle of question and answer and question again to the point where question and answer are not separated. Or, as the Bible has it, belief and doubt together. In Matthew's Gospel, as Jesus is concluding his last public appearance after Easter and sending everyone off with the Great Commission, Matthew notes, When the disciples saw him, they worshipped him, and some doubted. The Greek would be translated probably better here as believed, and in fact, many translations have it that way. So they believed, and some doubted. They all believed, and some doubted. It's and, belief and doubt. Robust religion requires much more than that we place our faith in something we don't question. It's about more than doctrine, more than creed. Surely it's about following Jesus with our whole lives. Surely it's about peace about how we live our faith. And there's so much room for doubt. I keep thinking of the hymn, Lord, when I came into this life, specifically the third and fourth verses. In case you can't simply launch into singing that hymn, and really even if you can, I invite you to listen as Dale sings those two verses. In all the tensions of my life, between my faith and doubt, let your great spirit give me hope, sustain me, lead me out. So help me in my unbelief, and let my life be true. Feet firmly planted on the earth, my sight set high on you. Thank you, Dale. I love the line, 
in all the tensions of my life between my faith and doubt. Let your great spirit give me hope. Between faith and doubt, faith and doubt, belief and question, both. And then the line, so help me in my unbelief and let my life be true. Belief, unbelief, doubt. We are all seeking to live a true life, all seeking to be part of divine peace. There's more than enough room for doubters. There always has been. So this Easter tide, let's remind ourselves that we need not leave the questions or our doubt behind. Our questions and our doubt, our skepticism and our curiosity are as much a part of the story as the good news shared by those first women preachers. There is authenticity in owning our doubt. There is joy in claiming our questions and uncertainty. There's joy in finding the places where our doubt is firmly rooted in our faith. We have questions because we care because it matters, because these are our sacred stories, because we live between our faith and our doubt. In all the tensions of my life, between my faith and doubt, let your great spirit give me hope, sustain me, lead me out. So help me in my unbelief and let my life be true. Feet firmly planted on the earth, my sight set high.